working their way in, whether uh, upstairs or downstairs or around the stairs. Uh, just welcome you this morning to Calvary Grace Church Sunday School. We are Christians in the workplace. This is the class. And I encourage you uh, to have your Bibles open to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Just to have that open, we'll be uh, referring to it quite a bit this morning. And I'll even just read from Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Let's pray. Father, this morning we recognize you are our creator. You have made us in your image. We thank you, God, that we um, not only have been made by you, but we have been loved by you. That you would show great mercy to save us from our sins, to redeem us, and to even transform us. We pray, Lord, this morning as we think about being male and female, even in the workplace, Help us, Lord, in this cultural moment that we would, uh, we would reflect your beauty, your glory, your design in making us, that you would be glorified and we would flourish. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we tackle a complex subject, gender in the workplace, just to keep it light. It's a culturally sensitive topic, and so we need the Bible don't we? We need the Bible to instruct us, to guide us, to reorient us in our thinking. It's a subject that none of us can avoid. God has made each of us a man or a woman. And being a man or woman influences everything you do, from how you engage in relationships to what jumps out at you when you walk into a room. You've walked into this room this morning and you've noticed things, perhaps because of your maleness or your femaleness. Maybe. I think so. Another reason we can't avoid the subject is that the Bible's teaching about gender and our culture's views on gender are increasingly opposed. I was asked, um, did I, I, don't, I think it was like a week ago, someone in the workplace asked me, hey, Jared, how many, how many genders do you believe there are? I thought, oh no. Why do you ask? No, I just want to know. Well, how many genders do you think there are? And they said, two. What about you? I said, well, I do two. Great. But it's this, whoop, there, there are these moments in the workplace where you suddenly realize um, just increasingly more the opposition to the Bible's teaching. There are at least two errors we want to avoid this morning in applying scriptural teaching on gender in the workplace. The first is to treat scripture as silent on the subject, to take all of our cues from the culture. Whatever the culture is saying, that's what we're going to follow. After all, isn't equality all about erasing the differences between men and women? But scripture's teaching about gender is relevant to our jobs. It is clarifying, it's liberating, and it is actually life-giving. A second error to avoid is to expect Scripture to give us only rules, you know, just a formula that this is exactly how it will look for you being a male or female in the workplace. 
Instead, we need to sort of tune our ears to the music of male and female differences as defined by Scripture and confirmed by clear-eyed observation. Well, we need, above all, to seek wisdom, don't we? Wisdom in living rightly in light of both God's commands and God's creation. Living with, with the grain of God's universe. So we'll address practical questions this morning. Here's a question, just to think. How should being a man or woman, single or married, influence the kind of job you seek? Or how you do your job as a man or a woman, as single or married? Again, in answering these questions, we're not primarily looking for rules, but we're looking for wisdom. First part of this class provides foundations, and the second part is application, and we have a lot of ground to cover, so buckle up. Uh, having our Bibles open to Genesis, Genesis 1 to 3, our first foundation is the tasks, complementary roles in the creation mandate. This is the most important foundation. Uh, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here we see God makes mankind in his own image. Verse 27 highlights that both man and woman are created in the image of God. This means that humanity is appointed to be servant kings mediating God's rule to creation in the context of a covenant relationship, covenant with God on the one hand and covenant with earth on the other. Verse 28, just the next verse, gives humanity a mandate as rulers under God. So we are rulers over creation, yet rulers under God, under his authority. He instructs us, be fruitful, be mul uh, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. Rule the world under God. God's rule. Procreate, reign, and cultivate creation so that God's image and glory will spread to fill the earth. So the first biblical takeaway is, for as much as the culture talks about equality, man and woman are both made in God's image equally and both commissioned to rule the earth under God's rule. But there's also a complementary, uh, complementary uh, truth that we need to consider, this complementarian theology that we are finding in the Bible, that God has given men and women distinct complementary roles in fulfilling this commission. These come with distinct orientations, distinct primary callings, and we see this in different ways in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. 
Genesis 1 shows us a pattern in God's work in creation. So even to think about the first three days and the second three days, I'm not sure if this is something that, that we've noticed before. On the first three days, God forms. He forms creation, doesn't he? He, he gives it this, this structure. It was, with, it was without form. It was void before, and now he sets up structure. And on the second three days, God fills so the, um, as, uh, as some of our resources, just even in your handout, um, there's, just on the last page, The Music and Meaning of Male and Female by Alistair Roberts is uh, an excellent resource. I'd recommend that to you. And borrowing some of his language, the first three days are devoted to structuring, division, taming, and naming, and the second three days are days of generating, establishing succession, filling, glorifying, and establishing communion. So to even think about how God forms the created order in the first three days, and then the second three days, he fills that ordered structure with life, like filling the heavens with stars, filling the seas with fish, filling the air with birds. He fills all of creation. He even creates the apex of creation, humanity. He fills the earth. These two halves of God's creative work are fulfilled in the two key themes of the creation mandate, dominion and filling. So then we think about our vocation in the world as being people, humanity, is to reflect, continue, and to extend God's own creative rule in Genesis 1. And what we'll see is men and women do this in different ways. Next, just flipping over to Genesis 2, we see that man and woman are created to fulfill, fulfill this in complementary ways. Genesis 2, verse 18 and following. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature... That was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field, but for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Lots of details to notice in this passage. Verses 15 to 25 shows us that who is created first? Man. Man is created first. Adam. The man is created to keep and guard the garden, and the woman is created to be his helper. The primary sense of verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone, is not that freshman in Bible college pining for a girlfriend, pining for a wife, pining as we all experience some measure of loneliness, uh, looking for a spouse, that can happen, but that Adam won't be able to fulfill the creation mandate by himself. Only man and woman can create children together. 
by God's design. As verses 21 and 22 tell us, while the man was created from the dust, the woman was created with flesh and bone from the man's side. Interesting, notice this. In verse seven, that the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Only after that did he create the Garden of Eden. Interesting. So the man was created outside the garden and brought in, while the woman was created within the garden while he slept. The woman has a special relationship to the inner world of the garden, and the man has a special relationship to the earth outside the garden. The man is given the task of naming while the woman is not. The man names the woman, and the woman does not name the man. So then just scanning your eyes over Genesis 3, in this chapter, Adam and Eve sin, and they plunge creation into ruin and misery, uh, and even Though together, I'd say Adam had, had the culpability for uh, mankind for his sin. Adam failed in his task of keeping the garden by upholding God's law, and Eve failed in her calling as a helper. She didn't help Adam, she usurped him. In the parallel judgments that follow, if you just notice in verses 16 and 17 in, in chapter 3, God tells both the man and the woman that they will experience difficulty in the fundamental area of their activity. The man will be cursed with his labor in the ground and the woman with her childbearing. childbearing. And both the man and the woman will be frustrated and dominated by the source they came from. The man will return to the ground and the woman will be ruled over by the man. So what do we see? What do we see as we put this all together, this uh, back to the basics, Genesis 1 to 3? We see that in fulfilling God's creation mandate, man and woman each have a unique primary vocation. To think about the first three days and the second three days of creation, the man's vocation corresponds to the first three days of Genesis 1, naming, taming, dividing, and ruling. And the woman's primary vocation matches the second three days of creation, filling, glorifying, generating, establishing communion, bringing forth new life. So hence, the differences between us as men and women are not merely accidental or incidental, but are integral to our purpose and deeply, deeply meaningful. These distinct callings and the different physical and emotional equipment God has given men and women in order to fulfill them are most clearly seen in having and raising children. Yet these distinct focal points of men and women's creational callings are not limits, but, but you could think of them as seeds that flower in different ways. Man is not only a gardener, woman is not only a mother. So in the perspective of Genesis 1-3, to there is then this potential for a man to be a father and potential for a woman to be a mother. Now, not all men will be fathers, not all women will be mothers, we know that. But in a variety of callings, men and women can exert, think of this, uh, a fatherly influence or a motherly influence. We have uh, um, someone in our, in our department who's just, she's the workplace mom. She's taking care of people. She brings in birthday cakes and she sometimes cleans up the table for us. We just, just, we're fine, we're fine, but she loves to do it, this motherly influence. 
And what we can see then is not only a physical and emotional care, but also a, a spiritual component to the fatherly and motherly influence. So whether you're married or single this morning, childless or a parent, you have a commission from God to draw out the potential of creation and to help others flourish. That work is part of what it means to be human. So what would it look like for you in your work this week to exercise, regardless of your age, how, if single married, to have a sort of fatherly care in your work or a motherly disposition in the way that you do your work? What would that look like? Think about it. Number two, our next section, briefly, the equipment, discerning gender differences. Uh, what I'm about to say is based on a mixture of common sense observation, cross-cultural, anthropological, and sociological studies. Are we ready? Are we ready? Men and women are different. Are we okay? Are we still here? We're okay? No tomatoes? A lot of churches, if I were to say that, I'd get kicked out right now. <laughs> uh, men and women are physically different in terms of primary, secondary sex characteristics, average height and weight, average physical strength, and more. And some of these differences account for why in traditional societies throughout the world and throughout history, labor demanding more brute strength has usually been assigned to men. And uh, though there are um, differences of psychology and personality, the differences are pronounced. It's like that, um, I won't get into that, wisdom. What I'm about to say uh, just further in involves generalizations, trends, and averages, not absolutes. So I just, there's the caveat, yeah? Not absolutes, generalizations, things that we observe uh, that uh, are differences in men and women's psychologies. Men tend to be more analytical and compartmentalized, while women tend to experience situations and to relate to people with their whole person. Uh, we were at a community group last week, and the guys were huddled around here, and the ladies are huddled around over there, and Gavin makes the observation that we're all here talking about theology and th things in the culture and, and things that we like doing, and, and the ladies are over here, and they're all asking about how everyone's doing, and that must be so hard, and, and, and just encouraging each other, pouring into each other's uh, lives, and Gavin made the observation, we know nothing about what's actually going on in our lives right now, but they know everything. But yet, we've just gone and fixed the world, haven't we, gents? <laughs> uh, men tend to be more aggressive, while women tend to be more nurturing. And again, an individual woman may be more aggressive than some men, and an individual man may be more nurturing than some women. But if you take each gender as a whole, men have a vastly higher aggression total, and women a vastly higher nurturing total. There's much more we could say, but this at least provides a baseline, just even what we observe. It's not to uh, create a mold that you need to force your personality into. The point is to uh, discern the widespread characteristic differences between men and women so that you are free to be who you are. And when we map these traits onto the di distinct tasks God gave man and woman in fulfilling the creation mandate, we see that they fit. So to think that God has created men with a distinct vocation of forming in some way, and he has fitted them for the task. 
God has called women to the distinct vocation of filling, and he has fitted them for the task. Uh, so we, we bought an older house last summer, and there was a lot of work that I had to go into renovating an older house. Um, and so I took charge of the brute work of ripping out carpets and knocking out uh, counters and all sort of, and then just the work of, I've, I hired some guys and whatever, but I did some work, hired some guys. So I do the, the forming of the house, and then I step back and say, okay, now, Gail, you make it look nice. And boy, she does. And that, that works. That's how I'm built. That's how she's built. It works. Just don't look too close at some of the handyman skills that I had <laughs> on display. <clears throat> uh, we're all in progress, aren't we? A redeeming work of grace. Amen? God has called men to a distinct vocation of forming, and he's called women to a distinct vocation of filling. But it still remains hard for us to connect these roles given in creation and the differences we observe between men and women to our roles in the workplace. That's why, third, we need to consider the setting, technological society. The society we live in today in the modern West is the result of hundreds of years of shifts in technology, production, kinship relationships, and more. It's uh, something we take for granted how we're actually quite different from the way we used to be. And we're actually quite different from a lot of other cultures in the world. Quite, quite different. The most concise way I know how to articulate this is that our entire society has a technological character. Well, what do I mean? We tell time by the hours and seconds, which I'm quickly losing, uh, not by the sun or natural rhythms. Think about our education for ourselves or thinking about our children. Uh, our education is geared towards training and credentialing for economically productive work, not the passing on of accumulated wisdom. It's more important if you have a PhD than if you actually know the difference between male and female. But, oh well. Where we live is increasingly governed by what work we want to do and what work is available, rather than traditional ties to place and family. We increasingly live alone or with only a nuclear family rather than in a stable, extended kinship network. And just to think, I don't know if you've been to Boston Pizza where that little robot comes out and delivers your food, and there's your pizza, meanwhile it's getting cold, it's just, just bring it out. A lot of work is now being done by robots, by uh, machines. You go to Home Depot to rent the auger, don't you, to, to do your fence post holes. You don't dig it yourself, generally. Uh, um, a lot of work is done with virtually no physical effort at all. Even recently, AI is showing itself to be able to write a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, AI can do the writing for you. Men and women work side by side as individual, interchangeable producers with gender distinctions functionally erased. There are very few jobs in the modern world that, whether by necessity, law, or custom, can only be done by a man or a woman. Certainly some lines of work are predominantly done by men or women, but in many workplaces, men and women are virtually interchangeable by design. In a word, the entire structure of our society prioritizes productivity over relationships. Productivity over relationships. It evaluates people strictly based on what they can achieve. And this is a world so drastically different from the world that the Bible was written in. Very, very different. So here's one principle for applying biblical teaching to our roles in the workplace. 
uh, it, you won't be able to as much as, as we'd want to. The complementary gifts and distinct tasks that God has given men and women will almost certainly be most visible and pronounced in our marriages and the way that we raise our children, not so much our work. Comment. Even though you might not be able to demonstrate God's design as being a male or female in the workplace, how you speak about your spouse in the workplace will have a huge effect. You might not be able to have a certain uh, uh, influence in one way in the workplace, but how do you speak about your wife and your children? Do you honor him or her? Do you speak highly of them and even show how you cherish your wife, how you love her, water her with the word? Because of the individual, technological, functional nature of most modern work, the differences between men and women are less obviously relevant. The different capacities and traits that men and women bring to these roles will be expressed in more subtle ways. So again, we're looking more for wisdom than for rules. Uh, the goal is to be who you are. The goal is to use the distinctively male or female characteristics um, that God has given you as ways of loving your neighbor. Uh, the other day at work, there's a really heavy component that we had to lift. And I was working with a woman on our team, and I asked one of the guys to help me lift it because, because we should do the hard work and not make her do the hard work because we're looking after her. We're trying to care for her, and we'll even use the brute strength. Oh, brute, whatever, you know. <laughs> Come on. But we'll use the strength and the design that God has for, uh, for man and woman and um, in that way. I, years ago, I had a, a, a woman boss who was a very assertive woman, and I, uh, not, not perfectly, but I tried to do things that I would alleviate the hard work from her. I would step in and do the hard tasks so that she didn't have to. She's still in charge. She's t still telling me what to do, but I can step forward and take the brunt of it for her and even care for her in that way. Again, not perfect, but just these ways that we try to apply it, and it's, it's not going to look the same as in our homes and in the church, but it's it's something. With all that in mind, we move on briefly. Oh, we're doing okay. Application, the second part. Uh, I'll offer five applications, four of which are short. Last one, eh, a little long, but uh, it's worth it. First application, resist the denial of reality. Gender is real, and so are gender differences. Our culture is engaged in a collective effort to deny reality. But to be a man or a woman is objective. You are a man or a woman. It's given, not assigned. It's fixed. It's not malleable. It's not something that you can change. Unfortunately, there are efforts to do so, and they, they amount to a kind of self-sabotaging mutilation and denial and heartbreaking, really. Instead of denying the reality of gender, we should celebrate its goodness. So we should thank God for the gift of gender. Thank God that you are a woman. Thank God that you are a man in the work that you have currently. Thank God that he's actually created you for a purpose in this season, for such a time as this, like Esther, to have that fatherly influence, that motherly influence in your work. Thank you, God, for that privilege. We should view our differences as men and women, not so much as differences from each other, but differences 
for each other. God designed binary sexes with a view of complementarity that leads to happy flourishing. It's for each other's good. Just as in the church we have different gifts and the body needs those gifts, so also in relating to one another as men and women, our different gifts and capacities are assets for each other. So we should be alert to how gender differences influence the day-to-day life of our workplace. So resist the denial of reality. Second, resist the reduction of value to money. Our culture puts a price tag on everything. What, what's, the, what's, the, what's the value of motherhood? What's the cost of not knowing your father? How much money you make <clears throat> is not the measure of your worth as an individual. How much you earn over your career is not the measure of whether you've spent your life well. I don't think on our deathbeds or whenever the Lord takes us, we'll, we'll have our last thoughts of, so what was that pre-tax and post-tax? I've lived a good life. I don't think so. Even though we all have those moments of really being consumed with our income. Scripture teaches you to value God's glory above all. To value loving and serving your neighbor. To value seemingly weak and insignificant members of Christ's body. To value children. Something that the world does not value very much these days. And to value their training and nurture in the Lord. To value the local and global progress of the gospel. These things won't get you a paycheck or add to your paycheck, and in many ways, our jobs can often compete with those values. I get pressure to work on Sundays. I don't know about you. I just say, nope, sorry, not available. How does this apply specifically to gender? Well, depending on your circumstances, you may have other gender-specific callings that exist in some tension with the demands of your workplace. It may be that those are tensions you can't completely escape or resolve. So to think about uh, being a single mom, yeah? You, you got kids that you're taking care of and you have to work. How do you, how do you navigate that tension? There's a serious tension between their calling as a mother and their responsibility to their children while having obligations to their employer and earning an income. There's, you know, there's a tension there. Only if you value what the Bible teaches you to value can you be faithful to both of those callings? And generally speaking, your job's not going to teach you how to value your family, probably. Your boss really doesn't care if you love your children, really. Your boss, your work, your coworkers, generally, unless you're on staff at Calvary Grace, <clears throat> there's a couple of fortunate ones here. You have to train your own heart to rightly prize the calling God has given you as a mother, as a father, as a, uh, whoever you are, especially for the, the single mom um, look to the Bible, look to the Lord for how to, um, and it's not always going to be perfect, is it? There's all, sometimes life is just, <laughs> just trying, and the Lord is gracious, and we just, we just need grace, and we need the church. Third, recognize that there is less space for gender differences in the modern workplace than in traditional societies, the household, life of the church, and this observation cuts in at least two directions. We shouldn't expect the modern workplace to mirror or embody biblical teachings on gender. 
you may find that there is inclusivity training coming your way if it hasn't already come. Scripture teaches that men and women are not interchangeable in the home and the church, but in the modern workplace, there is a striking extent to which men and women are functionally interchangeable. That's the reality of the technological workplace. But this also means that we should expect the church and the household to look and feel different. Isn't it great when we come to church? I know sometimes, you know, tired of whatever. But this is our people. You know, we are together. We are on the same wavelength, by and large, following God's law, following God's word, enjoying God's grace, and even being conformed to the pattern that God has set up for us. It's like a (laughs) breath of fresh air. It's sort of like heaven every week, isn't it? A foretaste of heaven. We should be careful not to import worldly assumptions into the church and the household. We should cultivate. Cultivating takes work. We should cultivate distinct callings as men and women in the church and the household in ways that the gender-neutral workplace often hinders. And he's not here, so I can, be, I can praise him. But aren't we so thankful for Gavin and Amanda for their... Uh, their influence and just pointing us and sometimes uh, uh, very sharply reminding us of ways that we can improve the way that we show our maleness and our femaleness. Again, a community group, uh, I won't won't mention names, but um, uh, someone was doing something and Gavin nudges one of the guys and says, you should go do that, go do it. And uh, say, do you need a man to do that? And he goes over and and it was good, it was great, it was awesome. you know, again, we're not looking for rules, but just to have their influence in this church especially, I think we're just all very grateful for the peacocks. But don't tell them I said that. Fourthly, embrace your gender. Embrace your gender as a gift from God. We can even teach our kids to embrace their genders, can't we? And an asset for serving others in love. If you are a male nurse, then pray for God to equip you to nurture and care for others well. And look out for ways to use your strength and masculine personality traits to help the work you do. If you're a female corporate executive, pray for God to equip you to lead boldly and to look for ways to use the motherly capacities God has given you to help your employees flourish. So it doesn't mean that you need to go find a more masculine job or a more feminine job. Maybe it does. Maybe it does. But perhaps in your calling now, how can you exercise your maleness or femaleness even as we, uh, as we all embrace our gender. Hello. Fifth, and this is a slightly longer one, but it's worth it. Stay with me. Fifth and final, embrace plans that support and fit with gender-specific callings that you uh, either have or desire. So first, some application for those who are married, and then we'll make application for those who are single. As we saw in Genesis 2 and 3, God has given men and women complementarian callings in fulfilling the cultural mandate. In marriage, husbands are primarily oriented to the task of providing for the family, and wives are primarily oriented towards nurturing and caring for the family. So that means that, say, husband and wife are both working outside the home, their goals are just a bit different. They have different goals. A husband's work outside the home should prioritize his objective ability to provide. He goes and he provides financially for the family. If he doesn't, he's wor- worse than an unbeliever, the scripture says. 
And a wife, especially a mother who works outside the home, should prioritize a kind of, a kind of flexibility, a flexibility that allows her to invest more intensively in nurturing children and managing the household. Um, and there's no rules necessarily, but just the principle of flexibility. That looks different for different people. I think, um, just thinking out loud now, if your household is failing, is failing and things are falling apart, but your career is blossoming, something's wrong. Second, many of us in this room uh, uh, here uh, may not be married. So what does this have to do with you if you are not married? Well, statistically speaking, many of you will get married, so the potential of future marriage should impact your goals in the workplace today. Quite counterculturally, I'll go so far as to say that because career goals are different for husbands and wives, simply because they are husbands and wives, career goals are different for single men and single women because they have the potential to become husbands and wives. So for single men, you are building a career focused on your ability to provide. For now, that means providing for yourself. You have expenses, you need to live, so you're you're working to provide for yourself. Uh, but there are two goals for employment that Paul gives us in uh, Ephesians 4.28. You don't need to turn there, but Ephesians 4.28, helpful for men and women, for all of us in the workplace. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need, providing for himself and an ability to be generous to others, providing for others. Probably, that means that you are aspiring to a career that you would be able to support a family of however many. For single women, you're in a slightly more challenging position because just like your single brothers, you are, uh, your career is focused today on provision. Feed yourself and be generous. You've got to take care of yourself. Maybe give to the church give to friends, uh, you're supporting other people as that may be the case in your life. But should you get married, your career goals will change in a way that your husband's won't. He was focused on provision before, he's still focused on provision now, after marriage. But for the single women, once you get married, your career goals shift because your orientation has changed to that of a helper. And again, you still may be working outside the house and there's an arrangement that you'll have with your husband. Maybe you're paying off debt. Maybe you're trying to buy a house and then the plan is to work for a couple years and then have kids, whatever. There's there's wisdom and principles. But just being, being flexible to hit pause on your career or to shift careers, uh, a type of flexibility that... Uh, uh, there is a significant, unique, demanding role in caring for children, especially young children. And very practically, all Christian husbands and wives should be open and welcome the gift of children. It's a unique calling, and uh, practically speaking, this will frequently, though not always, mean reducing work done outside the home. Or maybe you're working from home. Or maybe for a few years while the kids are really little, you're just, you're just not working. You're focusing on them 
and maybe one day you'll go back to work. Or maybe somehow you can make it both work, and I don't know how you do it, because I, I think moms are just superheroes, and I just don't know how they do it. Uh, so to have work on top of that, I just, it boggles my mind. Um, anyways, flexibility. So a, a little bit more wisdom is needed for them. Guys, just get a job and keep on working. <laughs> Amen? 30% of men aren't working these days. Do you remember that? Right. Uh, we're almost finished here. Just one, one more comment. Um, just for, for women, just I, I forgot I had this in the notes, that um, you're looking for flexibility as a major goal in career planning. You're looking for flexibility so that if you get married, you would have the, work, the option to work part-time, work from home. And so this should make you wary of taking on large student loans or pursuing careers with long-term commitments. Not necessarily that you can't and you shouldn't. Maybe you, you really should. It's a great opportunity. But just to consider what will marriage and being a, being a mum potentially in God's providence, what would that mean for your career? So just bringing this to a close now, we could sum up the entire message of this whole class as, you know, people say, oh, from the other class, you say, what, what did you learn in, in your Sunday school class? You say, be who you are. Be who you are. Made in the image of God, male or female, redeemed, loved by God, redeemed by Christ in the gospel, walking by the Spirit, and seeking to be the best male worker you can, the best female worker you can, and all that comes with that. God has made you a man or a woman. It's going to look different for different people, but there's going to be a general posture of protection and provision for men and a posture of helping and nurturing for women. So, tomorrow morning, or whenever you're on shift next, or whatever that may be, in the workplace, look for opportunities to be that in the job you select and in how you do your job. Um, I'm just going to close in prayer. If you have any questions, feel free to come on up uh, or talk to, your, talk to your neighbor about it, and let's share about what the, what the Lord is stirring in us. But let's close in prayer together. Father, we are grateful to be loved by you and even to know that you made us purposefully as male or female. God, it is a very difficult um, cultural moment that we are in and yet we do celebrate your creative order in making us male or female. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to conform us into the image of Christ, that we would put off the, the things of the old man and put on the new man, the new self. And we, we ask, Lord, that in our workplace you would give us wisdom. Uh, we're not looking for formulas, we're looking for wisdom. And we ask that you would help make that clear for each and every one of us. Make that clear for me, Lord. Help us all to be uh, reflecting the way that you've designed us, either male or female. So we give you praise and thanks and ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.